Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk to an abuse survivor named Simon about the reality his narcissistic father constructs and the complicity of his mother. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have the return of Simon. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you, Brandon? I am doing well, thank you for asking. And for those that don't know you, Simon was a guest on our March 15th, 2021 episode titled Simon and the Emotionally Stunted Narcissistic Father. And in that episode, we discussed your fear of him in that episode, identity issues that were created within you, you know, you having low self everything. And there were also family adoption secrets in that episode as you and your sisters found out that you had a half-sister as an adult. Plus, we discussed alcoholism, rage, anger, learned helplessness, ADHD, scapegoats. We discussed nature versus nurture, emptiness, parenthood, being good enough, and a lot more. And we will leave a link to that episode in the show notes. And just one thing about it, we did have sound issues in that episode for a bit. So when you go back and listen, please remember that. And today with Simon here, we are going to, you know, kind of continue that conversation a little. Simon wanted to talk a little more. And today, you know, we're going to have this conversation about Simon's dad's construct and how he operates, Simon's thoughts, Simon's feelings about him, you know, the contradictions, hypocrisy, the tantrums. And then we'll talk about the complicity of your mom. And this is just going to be really conversational, kind of. And now I'm just going to get out of my way and your way. Simon, the floor is now yours. Um, I so I'd quite like to talk about uh, some more specific things about uh, the way that my dad is as okay. a person, the things that he... Uh, I think I said in um, when we talked before uh, about how odd and comical some of the things that he kind of uh, that he does, and um, also how when I've explained to people in the past about what he's like, um, they just don't get it. You know, they do, they don't understand, and um, and they think he must be uh, kind of this terrifying. Uh, abuse figure in my life but it's much more complicated than that he is uh, it's just more complicated than that we get on sometimes in brief windows but at other times he he exhibits his narcissistic behavior and his behaviors and uh we don't get on at all <laughs> we can um just explode at each other 
it's funny because I wrote some stuff down, some of the things he kind of used to do when I was a kid. Kind of some, maybe like a point, a list of behaviors that when I was growing up, I didn't think, I, I didn't think were odd, you know. They were. I did think they were odd. I did think they were odd. I thought they were odd from a very early age, but it took a lot of kind of working out. So I think from a very early age, I had an idea that my father wasn't um, average and my family wasn't average. Um, and that has led me, I think, in my adult life to have huge trust issues with people because from when I was very young, I saw that people can say one thing and actually be something completely different behind the face that they present to the world. And I think that was something which from a very, very early age, I um, I kind of got a handle on in a weird sort of way. So I've always had a problem with anybody in authority or doing anything, being asked to do something which I think is kind of inauthentic, or also a problem with people who are kind of managerial types, if you know what I mean, Brand- mean Brandon. People who take the company line and are very happy to hawk it, even if it's uh, BS, and even if it's kind of something which is just uh, nonsense, just happy to do it because they're told to do it, you know. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to talk about stuff like um, the rage that he had and the kind of specific uh, triggers that he had for rage. Um, the fact that he really was like a kind of eight-year-old boy um, in a, a grown-up man's body. And also, you know, the kind of, because of that, the the situations that we would get ourselves in when I would contradict him and it would lead him to kind of look into himself and uh, think that he had been found out, which of course is kind of the, where the kind of explosive narcissistic rage attack uh, come from. Uh, Yeah. I mean, he's always been his whole life uh, obsessed with how successful he is as a person. So, um, and compares himself constantly to other people but not in a small way not in a and because of who he is as a person he can't um hide that he finds it very very difficult in these moments when um he is he feels envious or jealous of somebody else um lots of people will just kind of have that and swallow it and then be able to kind of carry on with the conversation but he can't do it just like a child or just like an eight-year-old. He will kind of, like, I've got a friend called, uh, I've got a friend, I won't say his name, but he's got quite a lot of money and he hasn't done anything really of note in his life. Well, he's what we'd call in this country a trustafarian. So um, he's he's got a large kind of amount of cash in the bank that he's been gifted and um uh, every time I mention his name to my father, so this is an adult friend of mine, my dad will say, will openly try and find something about him which he can denigrate. So he will say, how's X doing? 
And I'll say, oh, you know, he's fine. He's doing his kind of part-time volunteer work. And Because uh, ever since I told him that he was rich, my dad can't stand it. Because his richness, his unearned, in inverted commas, which it, well, it's kind of unearned, richness, makes my dad feel terrible inside. His sense of self-worth is so tied up with kind of material... Uh, not necessarily wealth, but firstly being seen to be doing well, but also kind of a sense that he himself has earned what he has uh, what he has made, that he just can't stand it. So he will talk to me about this guy for, you know, five minutes saying, so he's okay, is he? And I'll go, yeah, yeah, he's fine. Yeah, he's just doing his stuff. And he'll be like, well, I must be awful inheriting that amount of money. I mean, it, what sort of life would that be? What sort of life would that be? And then he'd go on an extended talk to me, convincing, obviously not wanting to convey any information, but wanting to convince himself. That's what he's doing in those moments. He is going on this construct, this kind of rant in order to construct an idea. His ego can then kind of grasp onto as the reality of the situation. So he'll start talking and saying, yeah, he's really lazy, isn't he? He doesn't do anything. The guy's got no ambition. Uh, all of that unearned wealth, what, what kind of person would that make him? And I just have to sit there and listen to it. You know, this is my friend. And he does that because he cannot stand it. He cannot stand the fact that there are people in the world that are good people. What does that make him? That's the the first thing he thinks is my sense of self-worth only comes from material goods, essentially, and material wealth. I became on his radar when I gave him him grandchildren, basically. So when I got married and when I had grandchildren, he doesn't see that as my success. He takes that as his success. He He has done that. He has not, he has had grandchildren. He has produced somebody who, against all of my father's better judgment, has made a moderate success in that he's found a partner and had children, for instance. So when he talks about it, it, he, he finds it, he can't hide. He will talk about his grandkids, but then talk about himself immediately after. So he will say, Oh yeah, my um, you know, oh they they are lovely kids, aren't they? They are lovely kids, and then he'll talk about himself like it's him that did it. It's because I'm such a nice person that my children are so nice, and I can't tell you strongly enough how constant it is. That's the kind of comedic element of this story, is that he, virtually every utterance that he makes is is about himself in some way, and there is. Virtually, the empathy or the true empathy that human beings are supposed to have is almost completely missing. It's not there. It took me a very long time to realize that that he is he is totally empathy deficit. There is he doesn't understand what it is to uh, be selfless. He, he just doesn't understand it. And. Um, yeah, I didn't realize the extent of it until maybe about 10 years ago. But yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. And like I said before, when we talked, one thing that has really kind of inspired me to do something about it and to kind of get rid of the shame 
that I have about myself because it's kind of I've got a deep well of self hatred. I call it self hatred. It that's what it is. I don't like myself as a human being subconsciously. Consciously, when I think about why don't you like yourself, I can't come up with a particular answer apart from framing that within. Listen, it's almost like my father talking when I'm when I hear in my head when I kind of. I think, why don't you like yourself? And I can just hear my dad's voice saying the reasons why I shouldn't like myself. But yeah, one of the reasons that I kind of wanted to do something about it is because, as I said last time, when I had children, it's just awful, you know. There's so little um, that he could have given me as a child. There's so little care. Any kind of love or affection I would have got from my mother, he would have resented because it wasn't going to him. But then at the same time, any successes that I had, firstly, he couldn't praise because he cannot give praise. But also he would denigrate, you know, because it would never be good enough. So it's like a triple whammy. And it must have been awful, you know, and imagining myself as that, a child is just so so difficult because i don't know what you do when you're four or five years old and you have a primary caregiver who resents your existence cannot praise you um i spent so many years so many years kind of thinking or not not thinking anything consciously but with this awful feeling of just being useless a terrible kind of but uh, not a terrible person, not, you know, morally terrible, but, but lazy, you know, useless, uh, ambitionless, um, kind of, but I hadn't, I have no sense of what is possible to achieve in the world. You know, I have no sense of self-worth at all. It, I mean, he said so many contradictory things over the years when he didn't have any money, people that had money were assholes. They were horrible people. They were wankers. They were, uh, you know, he resented them. People with money were, and he would just go on extended rants about it and get angry about it. And as soon as he had money, the moment he made some cash, everything changed. <laughs> he flipped the script. There was no, there's no consistency because he didn't have any money. So people with money with the enemy, they were the wankers. As soon as he got cash, he said to me, he literally said to me, there is no objective measure of worth apart from money. And that was a sentence that came out of his mouth. And I found it so galling and bizarre that he would make such a statement. I just thought, how do you not know or realize you would have said something completely different two months ago you were only saying this to make yourself you were constructing a reality that you can kind of feel good about yourself um now you've got money that's what it is to be a good person when you didn't have money that's what it was to be a good person to be a struggling person or to be a you know an intellectual or um you know a funny person that's the most important thing you can be and um and yeah i mean what a crazy kind of it's just nothing it's not consistent 
so there's this part where his self-esteem, it seems, is based on what one does and that can kind of give him, you know, a boost or can negatively affect him too. And like with your friend, he he really doesn't see your friend as a person. You know, he sees him as this person who was given money and he doesn't see that he volunteers and that your friend could be also a good person. Your dad only sees how he's earned his money, doesn't see him as a person and then gets affected uh, in a way, seeing him as good or bad, depending on you know his beliefs at the time, because your dad seems to be this contradictory person, and it's like a competition. There's an ego involved that kind of feels like it's going on, and he sees your success as an extension of him, and what you do affects him negatively or positively most likely depending on where he is in his thinking. And there could be lots of contradictions that go on there as well. So can you talk a little bit uh, about that contradiction? I think everything that he is, I think that is the primary motivator of his personality is that sense of contradiction between his intelligence and the fact that he knows there is something deeply, deeply wrong with the way that he perceives things um, and the voice of this kind of constant uh, construction of this wall of defense inside himself, this this constant construction of this person who um, he thinks he should be. So you told me a story before offline offline but you told me this story before when your dad was watching this news report on whales being killed and saying who cares essentially and then a few days later he takes this stance in public that they are now majestic animals this really contradictory thinking here and showcasing and you also told me that he has this contradictory thinking when he's rich he has one set of beliefs but when he was poor as well he has this other set of beliefs and these things can bang into each other and when these things are banging into each other it just really starts to become uh, a problem and you told me it's like this construct of not having an identity so when it's pointed out the hypocrisy is being pointed out he shuts down and this wall is built around you know him to protect him and he rages and it's as if your dad hasn't, you know, self-accepted that he has faults and that you can or you're allowed to have faults because no one is perfect. And it's like your dad is caught in this cycle of trauma uh, of sorts. You know, everyone has trauma. This is all coming from trauma. So your dad is caught in this cycle of trauma in his own little construct cycle. And you yourself are just this intergenerational trauma you know, collateral damage that that is going on. He doesn't kind of the, the lack of self knowledge is, you know, it 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 makes it so so difficult to spend any time with him because not only is he phenomenally controlling, but so everything has to be 
Exactly. I mean, he control. When I was growing up, he did this obviously because that's what they all do. But it's you know the the entire household was set up as he wanted it, and the entire house was set up in order to never have to challenge him about his behaviour. So even now, that is how I live my my relationship with them. The primary thing my dad makes is my he doesn't. It's not making the decisions, but anything that happens has to be done with him primarily in mind. Uh, it doesn't just happen. There's, there are no natural, naturally occurring moments. It's all done with this underlying sense that at any moment something could happen that would make him fly off the deep end. So it is walking on eggshells, but it's more than that because you also have to plan constantly for what might happen in the future. You have to ignore awful behavior and it's just incredibly difficult. Um, but I don't know if I said last time, but you know, he, this, this is, it sounds so small, but it is such an eight year old thing to do. He constantly puts my mother down. I mean, constantly in order to, you know, as people do to, it's a making yourself feel better thing. I'm sure. She can never do anything right. So I remember, this, again, this sounds fucking ridiculous, but I remember him shouting at her once because he'd been to someone's house who he considered to be middle class, yeah? And they had cut the carrots for the dinner into a batons, you know, like julienne. No, not that thin, but like sticks. And he came home, my mother, the next day, my mother was cooking dinner and she was slicing the carrots like they were circles, like discs. And I remember them having an argument. She said, he said, you don't have the imagination to do that. Of course, your mother, oh, she said it to me. Of course, your mother doesn't have the imagination to cut them any other way. So he was looking at her cutting these discs. I just have, you have to keep your mouth shut. And that is one of a hundred million things that, a reasonable, rational person wouldn't say, or they might say it out of jest and then, but he didn't, because you know that he means to, because my mother was cutting those circles, those carrots into circles, he couldn't control himself from saying that he thought that it made her ignorant or, and of course what he was doing was he was saying, why does my wife cut the carrots into circles, not like the middle class family that we went to yesterday to visit. That's what I want. That's what I aspire to. And you, with your fucking round carrots, are holding me back. It's bizarre, absolutely bizarre. And when you're in his house now, I'm a 45 year old man. I want to punch him in the fucking face. It is. I can't. I cannot tell you, Brandon, how much. How much I hate it. And the fact I just, this adult man, and I have to sit there in his space while he denigrates my mother after this 50 years of shit that this woman has had to put up with from him. And when I'm sitting on his sofa in his house and he is still doing it 50 years later, I've got to do it. And I've got to make them, when he's made his food, he gets a plate for himself slams the food on food on the plate, takes his plate over to the table, pulls out the chair, sits down and starts eating. Everybody else is sitting around in the room. 
and he will just sit there and start shoving the food into his face. And you, when you see it happening, you can see him as an eight-year-old doing exactly that. In the house that he grew up in with his brothers and sisters, that's what you did. That's what you had to do. And he doesn't even consider that he should wait. That thought that it is polite to wait for other people to sit down is something that wouldn't even enter his mind. And my sister has said, I I remember two or three times, just wait, Dad, please. It's awful for us to see it. (laughs) We we don't, you know, please just wait. And every time, bang, you know, it just goes. Because you've pointed out something that in his heart of hearts, perhaps, I don't know what's going on there, you firstly he finds it humiliating that you have pointed that out but also what it what it points out is how much we have to ignore of his behaviors in order for the family to function at all you know so before we get to a little bit about your mom uh you wanted to tell another story about your dad but this has to do with your oldest sister your half sister and you know where she lives in a time that was re- very very recent when your parents uh, came to stay with her. Well, she was he he was upstairs. It was in the morning, and she'd come downstairs and made herself a coffee and was sitting at the dinner table. And she heard my dad coming down. My mother was still upstairs, and uh, my dad went into the living room and was in there for about two or three minutes, and then came out of the living room. Uh, walked up to my sister and went into her face and said, uh, like he always does, why are there no fucking photographs of me on your wall? Why do you not have any fucking photographs of your father on your fucking wall? And she said, remember, my sister's 60 years old. (laughs) She's not a little girl. And um, she said, what are you talking about? The things I've done for you, and she listed the thing, and he doesn't list, he's done nothing for her emotionally, absolutely nothing. There is nothing that he can reach for that hasn't been detrimental that he has done emotionally for her her entire life, not one thing. So he said, um, I built that shed, (laughs) pointing in the garden, pointing out that, he had helped her to construct a shed in her garden six months before. Um, and yeah, he just raged in her face that she didn't have a photograph of him. And, and he said he was mentioning people by name whose photographs she does have, who he thinks shouldn't have been there. So you've got photographs of X, 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 and X. But this wasn't just a, a loud discussion. He was screaming at her at that point. So what happened there? That the fact that there were no photographs of him was so significant and meaningful, it made him scream in her face. You know, this isn't just mild behavior. This is something which is fucking behavior of a lunatic. It's um, yeah. So he listed all of these things, none of them emotional. All of them either financial or uh, physical work that he'd done, and I realized that. That is his currency, you know. He can't, he has never given anything else. And to her, financial support, you know, it's like he, he, he would never think to say, 
we loved you as a child. You know, I always had your best interests at heart. You know, it really hurts me that you don't have a picture of me, which maybe those are legitimate things to say. I'm not sure. But to just come and scream in her face, who knows what the hell was going on? But um, and he was telling him all of these things that, that he did, that he'd done for her, these physical kind of things. And then when she was explaining it to me, she she he, she my sister lives halfway between where my parents live, and they also own another house in um, in Wales still, a flat which they visit it's like an apartment that they visit for a couple of months a year, and. Whenever they go to from one to the other, my sister is exactly in the middle. So it's now they're getting older. It's a perfect place to stop. <laughs> and they will stop and stay the night and get up the next day and they will go to Wales. Before this, before they'd, they moved to their current house, she wasn't halfway between the two places. So they never fucking saw her. So and sometimes they turn up without telling her and stay the night. She gives them dinner. And it happens more and more frequently because they go more and more between these two houses. So not only is he raging in her face about all of the, about why she hasn't a photograph of him, but legitimately she could have said, you wouldn't even be in this house unless this wasn't a convenient stop-off point between the two places that you own. You don't give a shit about me. The only reason you're here is because you're using this as a hotel. And yet there is no... Oh, anyway, whatever. So what is actually happening with your mom? Does she recognize who your dad is? Does she recognize any of this? And have you had any conversations with her about, you know, your life growing up, who your dad was then, who your dad is now? Um, this is uh, just a constantly ongoing uh, discussion between me and uh, my sisters, really. Uh, my older sister, elder sister, has a big, big problem. You know, she spent the, probably the first five years of her life mostly living with my grandmother. So she, she's got big problems with my mother and her kind of, the way that she has, even though she is a victim in, my, my, in the relationship that she is in with my dad, she has created, she, her mm, lack of action over the years and the fact that she, she does genuinely choose him. She is both victim and uh, I don't know what the other word would be. She's not a, she was a, she was a good mother and she, she tried very hard to deflect the negative attentions of my dad when we were growing up. Uh, but she is also a codependent and um, she did not, uh, you know, hard to, this is one of the problems we have with her, her, is that she can't not see it. And yet she has never, ever, ever said, your dad's a horrible person. And, uh, you know, that was all. It, it, I don't even want her to apologize. We don't want her to apologize for staying in the relationship or that sort of stuff, because we understand that she is a certain type of person. She's a, probably a damaged person herself. He's given her security and he has given her a lot which she must have craved or uh, needed in her life um, because she is a person that's got low self-confidence probably and it's been worn away over the years more and more and more and more. 
but she has never taken and i used to defend her tooth and nail to my eldest sister and say you know she's a victim but she's never said that to me she's never come to me and said i don't want her to say sorry i don't want her to say things should have been different i just think she could have said you and your sisters aren't mad this family is screwed up your dad is an unusual and difficult person um and it's not your fault and when i realized that she'd never said that i realized that for all her kind of comforting and appeasing and helping us she she didn't really what she did was just react and uh to his kind of outbursts and attempt to deflect it in some way but she could have done so much more with just a few words and she didn't i don't know if she she didn't want to be um disloyal she didn't want to be disloyal to him and that is a just a perfect example of how she has chosen him over her children her entire life and there have been a thousand times when she could have not only um comforted us but she could have defended us and she never did a lot of that i can understand because it was a hard to do but the fact that she didn't come to us afterwards and say this is a, this isn't right and this is this is a difficult environment um you children aren't to blame your dad's damaged and uh, the fact that she never did that was, is uh, is has a, is affected me as an adult i it's affected my opinion of her, you know, and it's a, sh- it's a real shame. And she doesn't even now. I will say to her openly, fucking divorce him, get rid of him. We all hate him, <laughs> which, is, which is so bizarre, isn't it? He's my, he's my dad. Yeah. So even every time I say it, 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 it's bizarre in my head. But I will say it to her just like nobody will blame you for walking out on him. Everybody wants him gone out of this family. We don't care what will happen to him, but she knows that he will be totally isolated as soon as that happens. He knows that too. And, you know, I will talk to him and bring the children to him through gritted teeth, but he will have nothing on me anymore. Uh, and uh, I won't have to put up with him to see my mum, which he, is, he controls, you know, like I said before. He, he doesn't let her see us the children um or or me um unless uh he is there he just won't allow it so she cannot make that journey to come and see her grandkids on her own it's either both of them or nothing and uh, again she could stand up to him and 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 no matter how hard that is even if she didn't stand up to him she could phone me and say i can't stand up to him you're just gonna have to live with as it is because i can't do it but she was no, she won't even do that. So even as an adult, uh, even when I'm an adult, she finds it difficult. Because when I'm raging about him and saying divorce him, I hate him. She will say things like, "Do you think? Do you think that's right? Do you think he's that bad? Do you think it really? Oh, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true." And of course, it is infuriating and enraging to hear that from her. Because my sister, my middle sister thinks she does it on purpose sometimes. 
she knows full well what he's like, but is she is not, not stupid. She he has lived with this man for fifty years, and she is just defending him. It's another way of defending him and kind of deflecting attention from him, and uh, that is very hard to deal with. But as adults, we don't. I don't hold anything back now. <laughs> I don't. Okay, because it's like they've created the separation. It's them and the children on the other side. You know, everyone was thrown out the house when it was uh, convenient, basically. So I've got no problem telling her exactly what I think of him. So I guess before we leave today, I just want to point out something, you know, you've kind of said here and with saying, but without saying at the same time, which is, you know, you, your whole entire life and, and your siblings have been affected by this, affected by your dad, but also affected by your mom here. And, you know, you've, you've grown up with, you know, low self-esteem, you know, and you know, learned helplessness. And we'll bring you back on again to talk more about that. But when it comes to your mom, we hear a lot uh, about not gaslighting your children and even though your mom is a victim of abuse, you know, I think the thing that you were saying but isn't said here is that she is gaslighting you and that's causing further problems. You know, you have to be honest with your children throughout this whole entire process or, or the, the abuse that they are currently enduring with one of the parents. It's going to be built upon by the gaslighting of the parent that is supposed to be the one that is protecting the child and how important it is for parents, even the healthy parent, to be honest with their children because this gaslighting is going to become a bigger problem as they grow up, as they get older. And I just really want to thank you, Simon, for being here and sharing more of your story with us today and you know, letting it all hang out there, and just being you. Uh, you know, last time you were on, people really attached to you, and um, I got a lot of emails about you. They just really liked you as as a person. And um, you know, Simon is my spirit animal. We made shirts uh, from that from 2021, and um, you know. I think one one of your friends was one of the people that bought one of those shirts from us. And I'm just happy that you were here again to share a little bit more of your story. And I can't thank you enough for being here because you helped change uh, people's life uh, once again. Thank you for listening. Well, Simon, thank you once again for being here. And if you want to be a guest like Simon was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it'll take you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And if you are someone that needs support, please do go to our support group at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page is a support group button. Inside, you'll see that we have a safe social network and that we have forum boards for you to post on. We have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. And it's a great group of people on there. You can make friends as well and get just get the validation that you need. So if you need support, join our support group today. 
And that is it for today's episode. So for myself and Simon, we hope you have a good night.